Look, let's be honest. That's one of the things we love about the South. We still say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Or you better. If you don't, we're kicking you up north, all right? That's the way we roll down here and all God's people said. And there's nothing sweeter than hearing that little girl say, yes, sir, right? Matthew chapter 10, that's where we are today. Matthew chapter 10, we're working our way through the gospel of Matthew line by line. We've been in Matthew 10 now. This is our third week. And and Matthew 10 is really the second major sermon that Jesus delivers in the gospel of Matthew. The first one was chapters 5, 6, and 7, famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount that was really directed toward a general audience, people that liked Jesus, people that were interested in Jesus. But his sermon in Matthew chapter 10 is different. It's not the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Sermon on Mission. And it's really focused in on the people who are serious business about Jesus. They're devoted followers of Jesus. They're people that want to extend and establish his kingdom here in the earth. And so Jesus kind of breaks this sermon into three parts, and we've followed his lead, and we've done this, and today will be the third part, and Lord willing, we'll finish it out today. But we looked at the first section. We called it travel instructions. Jesus was speaking in the first part of his sermon there very specifically and very deliberately to his 12 disciples, and he was sending them out on their first mission work without him right by their side. And so he lays down before them some really practical instructions. He says, stick together, stay where you are, start where you are, stay on message, show compassion, streamline stuff, seek out like-minded people, and shake off rejection and keep going. How many of you are here two weeks ago and you remember parts of that sermon? Good, seven of us, that's fantastic. So there were the travel instructions from Jesus, and then last week we looked at the trouble instructions from Jesus. He said last week, I'm sending you out into wolf territory. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And so it's going to be challenging at times. So his trouble instructions were be tough-minded, be pure-hearted, be aware, be calm, be confident, be resilient, and be encouraged. And today we get to the final set of instructions from Jesus, and we'll call these trust instructions. You see, following Jesus is a trust walk. Like I was trusting him in that moment, right, that the lights are coming back up. Following Jesus is a trust walk. Oftentimes the way of Jesus is not going to be easy. Oftentimes the way of Jesus is going to be a challenging way. It's going to be a way that doesn't make sense. Sometimes the way of Jesus is even going to ruffle our own personal sensibilities. Sometimes the way of Jesus is going to push us beyond anything that we're comfortable with or familiar with. And it will be tempting. As you follow Jesus and it becomes difficult and challenging, it's going to be tempting to turn back. As my friend Kevin says, it's going to be tempting to shrink back. It's going to be tempting to throttle down. It's going to be tempting to compromise. It's going to be tempting to walk away or lessen our faithfulness to the Lord. It'll be tempting to sort of justify our attempts to modify to our liking what we know Jesus has told us to do. But we must not, as followers of Jesus... As kingdom people, we must not deviate from the path that Jesus has set before us. It will be hard at times. 
It's becoming harder. It's been hard in a lot of the world. But the challenge of being a faithful follower of Jesus is being amped up right here at home with us now today too. It's going to be challenging at times. And it's going to require that we simply hold on in faith. That we trust Jesus. And that we hold nothing back. That we hold nothing back from him. But that we trust him fully. Florence Nightingale, an amazing lady of devotion and faith who lived over a couple of hundred years ago, who still today and for the last 200 years has been credited as being the founder of modern nursing. She said this at the age of 30. She said, I'm 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began his mission. Now, no more childish things, no more vain things. And then toward the end of her life, somebody asked her a question. They said, how is it that across your lifetime, you've been able to accomplish so much good in this world? And here was Florence Nightingale's answer. She said, I can only give one explanation, and it is this. I have kept nothing back from God. That's precisely what Jesus is calling his followers to in Matthew chapter 10. That we would not keep anything back from God, that we would trust him wholeheartedly. So let's look at the seven final instructions. Yes, seven, seven, seven. That's the way we broke down Matthew chapter 10. So if you like symmetrical sermons, all right, you like Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to see the seven final instructions Jesus gives to his followers who are extending and establishing his kingdom in wolf territory, right? Piercing the darkness with the light of God. So trust instruction number one, when following Jesus isn't easy, remember your master. you got to remember who your master is. Let me give you three words. These aren't on the screen. They're not on the notes. They're just kind of last-minute arrivals to the sermon, and I'll tell you where we're going to put them in a moment. But the three words are this, submission, reflection, and association. Submission, reflection, and association. And I'm a a kid of the 80s and 90s, and I couldn't help but think about Adam Sandler and Cajun Man saying it like submission, reflection, association. Or that Cajun cook on PBS, Justin, what was his name? Yeah, we love that on Saturday, right? Him and Bob Ross and all those people, that was the stuff. So submission, reflection, and association. That's going to mean something in just a moment. Hang on. So verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher. A slave is not above His master, here's what Jesus is saying to them. It's going to be challenging. You're going to face some adversity. But you've got to remember who your master is. And you're not above me. You're my disciples and I'm your rabbi. You're my servants and I'm your master. So let's describe verse 24 with that first word I gave you, submission. Jesus is calling his followers then and now, that would be us, to a place of submission. See, before you can follow Jesus into his mission for you, there has to be a moment of submission before Jesus. There has to be a recognition that he alone is master. Submission. So that's the word for verse 24. Remember your master. Here's that second word, reflection. Reflection. And this is the first part of verse 25. Jesus says, it's enough for a disciple to become like his teacher. You're not going to be above me. But it's enough that you become like me, like his teacher, and a slave like his master. Jesus is saying, you're not me, but you're going to become like me. In other words, you're going to be a reflection of me. There's our word. You're going to be a reflection 
of who I am. So remember your master. There's got to be a moment of submission to him. When that happens, he's going to begin to make you a reflection of who he is. And then here comes the third word. When you submit and you become a reflection of him, there will be an association. You will be guilty by association with Jesus. What people think of him, they're going to think of you. What they accuse him of, they're going to accuse you of. You embrace submission, begin to experience the reflection of Jesus in your life, then you're going to be guilty by association. You're going to get treated in this world the way Jesus was treated. So brace yourself for that. Some of you are really getting serious about following the Lord. Some of you have just set out on your faith walk, and it's going to become increasingly difficult in the days that you and I are living in. It's changing. Man, it's changing so fast. So, so when you submit to him and you begin to reflect him, you can expect to be treated like Jesus is treated in this world. Well, how was Jesus treated in this world? He goes on to say, the end of verse 25, if they called the head of the house, he's referring to himself here as the head of the house because he just referred to himself as the master. So he said, if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? In other words, he says, if they call me your master Beelzebul, they're going to call you that too. Well, who is that? Who is Beelzebub? Well, Beelzebub was a Canaan paganite god, literally thought to have meant Lord of the Flies. So the Jewish people picked up on that. They thought this is a disgusting, gross kind of deity. And so they used that as a title for Satan, just to disparage Satan even more. But some of the religious leaders had picked up on that term, and they had begun to tag it onto Jesus to say, you're not of God. You're, you're of Satan. You're satanic. And so Jesus is saying, if they're treating me like I'm satanic, if they're treating me like I'm the enemy, then guess how they're going to treat you as my disciples, as my servants. So what do we do when that starts to happen in our lives as we're following Jesus? Well, you got to remember your master. The second thing you got to do is you got to remember your mission. You're going to be tempted when it gets hard to quit and to back up, to compromise, to water down. But you got to remember the mission. Look what he says, verse 26. Therefore, don't be afraid of them. By the way, he's going to tell us three times today in our text to not be afraid. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid when the wolves come after you, when they want to destroy you, when, when they want to accuse you. When they want to slander you, he's saying the day's coming that who they are really is going to be revealed. And the day is coming that who you are really is going to be revealed. So don't be afraid of that. Instead, remember your mission. What is our mission? Our mission as followers of our king is to make our king known and to make our king, the invisible king, visible in the world that we live in. Here's what Jesus says, verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, it doesn't stay in the dark. Speak in the light. See, the king and his kingdom are to be seen. The king and his kingdom are to be front and center on the stage, in the spotlight. Not me, not you, not Grace Life, not anything else, but King Jesus and King Jesus alone, front and center, in the spotlight. And he's not only to be seen, He is to be heard. Look what he says next. What you hear in a whisper. What you hear in a whisper. Proclaim it on the rooftops. 
Now, the one reason he says that is because in those days, one of the ways that the rabbis would teach their disciples how to talk publicly is they would stand right next to their disciple and they would whisper the message to them. And then their disciples would say it. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm your rabbi and I'm going to whisper my words into your heart and into your mind. And he does that through the work of his word and his Holy Spirit. But here he says, those aren't to remain a whisper. I'm going to whisper those into your heart so that you can proclaim the truth from the rooftops. Now, rooftops aren't the best mode of communication anymore in the year 2020, especially where I live. First of all, I'm not getting on my rooftop. I don't do that. I hire people to do that. I'm just one of those guys. I ain't falling off. Uh Uh-uh. I don't like gravity, and I'm old. But nobody would hear me on my rooftop. All right, But 2,000 years ago, if you lived in Capernaum, you lived in Jerusalem, and you needed to get the word out about something, you'd go up to the rooftop. You'd start shouting, and it would kind of ripple, right? And the word would travel like that. Here's what Jesus is saying. Whatever your rooftop is today, whatever is your best mode of communicating to the people around you who Jesus is and the truth of his kingdom, then we got to seize upon that. That's our mission. we got to remember that. So trust instructions. When following Jesus gets challenging, gets difficult, when adversity comes, you're going to be tempted to back up. You're going to be tempted to quit, to shrink back. You're going to be tempted to water down, to throttle it down. What do you do? you got to remember your master. you got to remember your mission. And then you got to remember your immortality. you got to remember your immortality. Verse 28, Jesus says, don't fear. Second time he said it, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, the only one that can do that is God himself. God alone can destroy both body and soul. But I want you to understand this. God never destroys a soul, not in the sense of annihilation. What what God does is is a a soul is condemned to spiritual death, but he never annihilates a soul out of existence. That's not what God does. Every human soul is going to exist forever. Now, that's not to say, let me distinguish this. That's not to say every human soul is eternal. Only God is eternal. He had no beginning. He's the uncaused cause of everything else. He has no beginning. He has no end. You and I have a beginning. Our souls have a beginning. The moment that God began to knit us together in our mother's womb, he knitted us together with a soul. And in that moment, that soul became something that's going to last forever, never going to be annihilated out of existence. Many human souls will experience what the Bible teaches is spiritual death. But spiritual death is not annihilation, you're out of existence. Spiritual death means you are separated from God. At least the positive characteristics of who God is for all of eternity. And you are subscribed now to uh, an experience for all of eternity where the only things of God you experience are the wrathful things of God. That's spiritual death, eternal separation from God. So look at verse 28 again. Don't fear those who kill the body. But they're not able to kill the soul. Here's what Jesus just said. Don't be afraid of people who might can kill you here. Because what they cannot do is separate you from God. They cannot separate you from the love of God. That cannot happen. I love what Paul says, Romans 8, 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's Jesus saying? He said, listen, you're following me. I'm sending you into wolf territory. It's going to be challenging and difficult. And there's going to be pushback and opposition and adversity. It's not always going to go the way that you want to go. And you're going to find yourself getting weary. You're going to find yourself questioning everything you believe. You're going to find yourself wanting to back up and shut up and quit and just lock it down. What do you do? you got to remember your master. you got to remember your mission. Remember your immortality. Number four, remember this. You matter. Don't ever forget that. That you matter to God. You got to remember that. Look at what he says, verse 29. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. Third time he said it. Don't be afraid. Because you're worth more. You're worth more than many sparrows. Third time, Jesus said, don't be afraid. And here's why. Because you matter to me. You matter. Sparrows, these small little birds. In Jesus' day, the poorest of the poor, that's what they could buy to offer a sacrifice in the temple. You could get two of them for a penny. It made sacrifices and worshiping God accessible to everybody. These birds were just considered to have no value at all. And we all, if you grew up in church, you've been around Christian music a little bit, maybe you've heard that song, His Eyes on the Sparrow, right? And we love that song, and we should. It's a beautiful song. But here's the truth. Not only is his eye on the sparrow, what Jesus just said is, not only do I see a sparrow when it falls, A sparrow doesn't fall without me consenting to it falling. I am sovereign over every flutter of every wing of every sparrow on planet earth. I am God over all things. That's what he just said. Now, I, don't, I can't answer the question, well, why does he allow sparrows to fall? I don't know. I don't know why I went out this morning to feed my animals and I had a dead quail in my quail coop. I know you're like, why are you raising quail? That's my business, not yours. Don't worry about that right now. But there was a dead quail in my quail coop that wasn't dead in there last night. And I could cry out to God, what are you doing? I don't have an answer to that question, but I know this. That quail, this is goofy. I didn't know this was coming out in the sermon today. That quail didn't die without God consenting to it dying last night. And I don't understand why it happened. I mean, I ain't tore up about it. It's just a quail. But you know what I'm saying. I know, though, that God is in control and he's sovereign over that. Look at what he says. I'm not making it up. Verse 29. He just said it, and you probably didn't catch it. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent? Listen, if our God not only watches over but it's also sovereign over, in control over the smallest of things in our world, like the flutter of a sparrow's wing or a hair on your head. How blessed and encouraging is it to know if he's a God that cares for the little things like that, and yet he is watchful and sovereign over the big things in life, the things that kept you up last night, the things that stole your appetite, last week, 
the things that keep jumping into your mind while I'm trying to jump Matthew 10 into your mind right now. God is sovereign and in control over that. And he's telling you today, hey, don't be afraid. You matter. You matter. Don't be afraid. He says, you are worth more. Verse 31, you are worth more than many sparrows. So we're following our king, Caitlin. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult at times, challenging at times. You're going to question. You're going to doubt. You're going to want to back up, shrink back, water down, compromise. What do you do? you got to remember your master. Remember your mission. Remember your immortality. Remember you matter. Remember that. Number five, remember Jesus matters most. And that last word is the most important one, most. Jesus matters most. I'm about to read a bunch of verses that I've read my whole life, but honestly, I just got to tell you, I think these are more relevant to us in the year 2023 than I've ever seen them be before. Pastorally, I'm talking with families often these days where we're seeing the closest of relationships being strained. We're living at a time right now, we're seeing in our culture this great division in our society. And that division is making its way into families right here at Grace Life. And so as I read these verses today, I want you to listen closely because this has now moved in to our neighborhood. This is becoming many of our daily experience. When I read it, some of you are going to go, yes and amen. That just moved in to our family, to my friendships, to my life. Here we go, verse 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Jesus matters the most. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Jesus matters the most. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn. And this is not why he came, but this is the results of his coming. To turn a man against his father. Happy Father's Day. Chose this text for y'all today. No, it's just where we are. It's just where we are. It's where we are. It's where we need to be. I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus matters most. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus matters the most. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus matters the most. I'm asking you today, is that your conviction today? That Jesus matters most over any other relationship. Is it your conviction today that he matters most over every other relationship? And are you living as if that is the case? And some of you are wrestling with this right now in your own personal life. There's a situation that has come in to your friendships, to your family, to your circle. 
And you're being pulled into a direction that the Spirit of God is saying, no, that's not the direction to go. That's not the stand. That's not the position. That's not the path. And you're feeling this tension. What does it mean when Jesus says this about turning people against one another? He simply means that if you're a follower of Jesus in his kingdom, you will love Jesus most. But there will be people in your life, perhaps even in close relationship proximity to you, that Jesus will not matter most to them. They may like him as long as he stays in the lane they've designated him to be in. They may go to church occasionally or even every week. But they don't love him the most. And if you're loving Jesus the most, if he matters most to you, but he doesn't matter most to them, there's going to be a division. There's going to be a separation. And that's not going to be easy. And some of you are facing that right now. And you're facing this moment where you're thinking, I just don't know if I can follow Jesus anymore. I don't know that I can hold what I've said before. I, I, I think i got to compromise my principles here. i got to compromise God's word here. And you're facing exactly what we're talking about here today. I want you to listen to what John MacArthur says. He's always one of my go-tos. And he says this. Becoming a Christian requires affirming the lordship, the kingship of Christ. To the point where you're willing to forsake everything else. It's not simply raising a hand, signing a card, or walking down an aisle and declaring love for Jesus. Salvation is by faith alone, apart from any works at all. But faith that is genuine will be manifested in a commitment that cannot be swayed by any influence. The Christian is to love his family with self-sacrificing love. Christian husbands and wives are to love each other and their children with unreserved devotion. Christian children are to love, respect, and care for their parents as unto the Lord. But a believer's commitment to Christ is so profound and far-reaching that any relationship that endangers that relationship must be sacrificed if necessary. That is a hard reality that some of you are walking in today and some of you will walk in and that I may walk in but it's as true as it is hard it won't be easy to follow Jesus if you're looking for the easy sermons I'm not your guy this ain't your place because the way of Jesus isn't easy And we're going to be tempted to go easy. When you find yourself being tempted that way, what do you do? You've got to remember your master. Remember your mission. Remember your immortality. Remember that you matter. Remember that Jesus matters the most. Number six, you've got to remember your motivation. What keeps a follower of Jesus following Jesus when it's costing them dearly? What motivates a follower of Jesus to keep following Jesus when it's getting costly? When we're facing the hardships of wolf territory. Here's our motivation. Our motivation is, it's no longer I, but Christ in me. It's not about me anymore. I've been bought with a price. It's no longer I. It's Christ in me. It is Christ with me. It is Christ before me. 
It's Christ behind me. It's Christ in me. It's Christ beneath me. It's Christ above me. It's Christ when I lay down. It's Christ when I sit up. It's Christ when I rise and Christ when I walk. It's Christ to my right and it's Christ to my left. It's Christ in the heart of everybody who thinks about me. It is Christ in the mouth of everybody who speaks about me. It is Christ in the ear of everybody that hears about me. This is our motivation. It's Christ and his glory and Christ alone. That's our motivation. Here's what he says, verse 40. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. This is called the doctrine of union with Christ. It's no longer me. Now I am one with Jesus and Jesus is one with the Father. We are inseparably linked together now. Almighty God, I am in Christ and Christ is in God. They are the same and I am joined together with them forever. And that is my motivation. My relationship with Jesus. Verse 41, he says, anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. Now, you can only be a prophet if God says you're a prophet. But God just said, if they welcome you as my prophet, it's like they're welcoming me. Because we're one. And they're going to get a, a reward for welcoming me because they welcomed you. Because there's no separation now between me and you. And then he says, and anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. Just like you can't be a prophet without God saying you're a prophet, you can't be righteous without God saying you're righteous. And the only way God says you're righteous is you put your faith alone in the shed blood of Christ alone at Calvary's cross, and God declares that you are now righteous, sin forgiven, reconciled to God, righteous forever before God. None of us are righteous but the righteousness of Jesus is given to us as a gift with our salvation. We're made righteous before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is our motivation to serve Jesus and to follow King Jesus when it gets tough. It's no longer me, but it's him. We're, we're one now together, bound to him through the shed blood of Jesus. So trust instructions. Following Jesus is not easy. It's not going to get easier. Take it to the bank, y'all. I've read the book. It's not going to get easier. What do we do? Remember your master. Remember your mission. Remember your immortality. Remember you matter. Remember that Jesus matters the most. Remember your motivation. And point number 21 in the Sermon on Mission, remember your moment. You may be here today and you're thinking, well, hey, I'm not a prophet. Uh, I'm not an apostle. I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, how does my life really matter? I mean, what am I really doing in the kingdom? I mean, come on. I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just a role player, you know? I'm not that significant in the grand scheme of things. What difference is my life really going to make in the kingdom? And I hope you're asking that question today because I'm about to throw a dart through that thought bubble. Because that question is not from heaven's throne. That, that thought that you are insignificant in the kingdom of God is out of the pit of hell. I can't answer the question specifically, how impactful is your life on eternity? 
I, I can't answer that. None of us can answer that for anybody. We don't know. You can't measure eternity's impact on this side of eternity. But I can tell you this. If you will follow Jesus, if you will love Jesus more than anything or anybody else, you will give yourself to following King Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength in all you do, if you will aim to be faithful to him in everything, no matter what it is that you do, unclogging toilets, digging ditches, removing brain tumors from people, preaching the gospel halfway around the world, it does not matter what you do in this life. If you do it out of love for Jesus, it matters. It is significant, I promise you, and it matters to Jesus. In fact, it matters so much to Jesus that he has promised, Chuck, that the least little thing you do because you love Jesus, he's going to reward you for doing it. Here's what he says, verse 42. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, if you just give a cup of cold water to a kid, this is what he just said. We're not talking about prophets and apostles and missionaries around the world. We're just responding to the cry of a child who says, I'm thirsty. And because you love Jesus, you provide a drink of cold water for that child. He says, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Here's the deal. you got to remember this. Jeremy, when it gets hard, you got to remember this, brother. you got a moment coming. Everybody in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you got a moment that's coming. And I want you to remember that moment. And that moment's coming quicker than you think. And that moment's probably a lot closer than any of us realize. And here's what that moment is. Your moment is you get one time to bow down for the first time before Jesus. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. You get one time, one time to bow down for the first time before Jesus. We're going to spend eternity with him, but there's something significant, I think, about the first time you see him face to face. The first time that we get to bow down before Jesus. One time. You only get that moment once. You all got a moment coming. You only going to get it once. And Jesus said that even if you give a little one a cup of cold water, because you love Jesus, because you're a follower of Jesus, he says, I'm going to be there in that moment. I'm going to be there in that moment to give you a reward. I love that. Here's how the Bible describes that scene. The Bible says the saints were there before God and Jesus begins to give crowns and rewards to his people for loving him, following him, serving him. But the Bible describes it, we're not going to have those and put them on and, you know, strut around. Look at the stack. Stacked. Bigger than your stack. Ha. No, 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 no. What the Bible describes is that we're all humbly going to bow and lay those before Jesus at his feet. That's, that's our moment. That's our moment. 
you get that moment once. One time to bow down for the first time. And when he starts passing out the crowns and rewards and people are lined up, you know, and they're coming up to his feet like, I don't want to be back there. That's not how I want my moment. It's not how I want my moment to go down. Because I only get one time to do this for the first time. Tom, I, I, I want Peter to go, <laughs> back him up. Beep, beep, beep. And I want that to be my moment, not because I want to boast, but because I want to bow big. I want to bow big. I want to say thank you big. Because this isn't me. I was dead and Jesus came. He rescued me. I was nothing. I was worthy of his wrath. But in his loving kindness, he lived a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve. His body was broken and his blood was shed to make me his own. Then he put his Holy Spirit in me and he gave me everything that I needed for life and godliness. And there's not one single accomplishment that touches the heart of eternity that I can claim credit for. Not one. Not a shred of one. And I want them to back the trucks up because I want to bow big on that day when that moment comes. And I'm telling you, you got to remember that moment. Because you will be tempted to quit. You will be tempted to shrink back. You will be tempted to compromise. You will be tempted to water it down. You will be tempted to love something or somebody more than Jesus. But I'm telling you, don't you dare do it. Don't you forget. This moment's coming. And when you're bowing there in that moment and you're seeing him for the first time face to face, you will know he was worth it. He was worth it. Every bit of it. If you're thinking about quitting on Jesus today, your dog fell out of my Bible. My little buddy drew me a dog, gave it to me before church started. If you're thinking about quitting on Jesus today, don't. If you've quit on Jesus, unquit on him today. Unquit on him today. He's worthy. Amen. He's calling us to follow him boldly, bravely, courageously. Remember, remember, your moment's coming. Let's make it count. I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord. Let's respond to his word. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, your moment right now is going to look a whole lot different than what I was just describing. God won't hand out rewards to you. He'll hand out wrath to you. Eternal wrath will be handed out to you. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can say yes to Jesus today and give your life to Jesus and be saved today. I'm right here. I would have that conversation right now with you. You just come say, hey, I need to talk about that. I need to know Jesus. Let's do it right here, right now. And the rest of us, let's get our eyes on Jesus and let's make our decision. Does he matter most? Does he matter most? If you're into heaven because of streets of gold and mansions, but you don't really care if Jesus is there or not, I can tell you he doesn't matter most to you. Your comfort matters most to you. Getting out of this train wreck of a life we're in is what matters most to you. 
Not having your sickness anymore is what matters the most to you. But if you would say, you can strip all of heaven away. As long as I got Jesus, that's all I want. Then Jesus matters the most to you. Do you say today, he matters most. If not, I'd do something about that before I walked out of here today. It's Father's Day for crying out loud. I'd get it right with our Heavenly Father today on this Father's Day. Amen? So let's sing. Let's worship.